Well, hey there, Todd. Uh, I really enjoyed your recollection of your friendship with uh, Harry Rath and your times with Lowen Group. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I think we will try to make a little bit of transition from uh, some of the side projects that happened while I was with Lowen and then talk about some issues about working with uh, associations and some key personalities over those years and and then take it into um, the final uh, chapter of uh, Lowen, which happened in 1999. Great. Okay. Well, so let me, um, let me uh, close off some of this from the last time that uh, working with the Lowen group uh, for the number of years that I did was really uh, very much a university for a fellow like myself. You know, I always have battled this uh, having ambitions, but then at times lacking the skills or the intelligence to meet my ambitions. And, and but at Lowen, there was this climate of uh, freedom. Uh, actually, there was, it, it was not micromanaged which some of the uh, some of the business analysts say that was part of the problem that he that eventually brought the company down. But it, we talked about some of the internal workings of the of what was going on inside the company that really contributed to it being brought down. Um, but during those years, what I found was uh, as Lowen grew the attention that the company received from myriads of people, uh, from vendors to deal, you know, they wanted to make a deal. If you just sign this contract for all of our embalming fluid, we'll give you this and that. And those deals were frequently done, particularly with casket companies, et cetera. But what, what, what happened in my life while I was with Lowen was that there had been a shift in my career in uh, 1988, 89. And the shift was, was that my work with the National Funeral Directors Association came to an end. Uh, and there's, there's uh, different accounts as to what happened and, you know, that's ancient history to be sure, but my work, uh, they uh, decided um, the, the wisdom of the association that my work had, uh, was no longer needed. So, but I felt um, that I still had things to contribute. And so at this time of history, there was this group called the American Cemetery Association, the ACA. They hadn't changed the name yet. And so because of Lowen, uh, because we had 600 cemeteries, I had crossed, I had homogenized my career that not only was I working with funeral directors, but now I was also working with cemeterians. And I have to, and that's why I would say it was the university of my life. 
the, the years because th my vision was so broadened because I was raised, and I hate to say this, but you know, it's the 800 pound gorilla in our profession. I was raised uh, from 16 years old onward that funeral directors were superior to cemeterians. Right, I, my boss told me so, and I remember, uh, I remember going through the gates of a cemetery in Omaha, and the and the sexton of the cemetery, the manager of the cemetery, was standing there, and he would tap his head or he's tap his shoe as to how we were going to go on the lowering device, head head first or feet first, and the look on this guy's face. It was just this hatred scowl, see, that he'd shoot us when we'd go through. And my boss is driving the lead car, and he'd look over at me, and he goes, he doesn't like us very much. And I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with him? What is wrong with this man that he doesn't like us? Well, maybe three or four years later, I found out that we owed him about $12,000 in past opening and closing charges that, that, we, that we hadn't paid the bill. And that might be part of the reason why he was scowling at us. So I, under, I learned that the cemetery world has its own issues. And I also learned very clearly that it's risky to set yourself as superior to any human being on the face of the earth because I ended up learning a tremendous amount by working with cemeterians. And so from there, because the ACA, the American Cemetery Association, wanted good relationships with the Lowen Group because we had so many properties, then by guess and by golly, I got put on the ACA board of directors. Um, and I, th I believe it was a politically in, in uh, incentive move. I don't think they wanted me there because of my brains, but I was on the board. And then I remember I did a program. I don't even remember who I did it for, but it was in Palm Springs, California. And I was up there and there was a, I bet you there were 300 people in this auditorium and I finished my talk and I was firing on all cylinders that day and I finished it off and I got a standing ovation. And afterwards, this gentleman by the name of Patrick Downey, uh, who hailed from Wisconsin um, and he worked he was, he was the pre-need guy at Catherine Smythe's uh, place in Memphis, Tennessee, a Memorial Park. And right at the time that I gave this talk, the Lowen Group was in the process of buying Memorial Park from Catherine Smythe. So Patrick, come, he's in the audience. He comes over to me. And this was uh, 1991. I believe, and he said, have you ever heard of the ACA University? And I, I had heard of it. And what I had heard was all it was, I, all I'd heard from funeral directors was, this is just a cemetery sales thing. 
right? All they want to do is sell, 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 sell. Like, like the rest of the world doesn't sell, right? Only cemetery guys sell or girls sell, which of course is ludicrous, right? Right. And uh, I mean, I, I have found life is a sales experience, right? You're constantly uh, presenting and selling and uh, teaching and educating. And, you know, it's just a matter, I guess, of semantics, isn't it? And so he said, have you ever heard of the ACA University? I guess I have. And he just out, boom. He said, would you consider starting the funeral college? And I looked at that and I said, absolutely, right? I mean, I didn't even give it a second thought because I'm a, I've been devoted to, to any time I get a chance to talk about the value, purpose, and benefit of the funeral, any time I get any opportunity in my limited skill level to help funeral directors become more service oriented and if the funeral directors improve my theory was the services to the families improved right it was just this domino effect and so uh, i flew down from cincinnati to memphis went to memorial park and this is this crazy within an hour our meeting with uh, Downey and I were alone in a room and within one hour, we'd mapped out the first curriculum for a four and a half day seminar in Memphis. And it took off, uh, he, Patrick was the, the head of the university and the head of the university is called the chancellor. And there've been, there been people that have been highly critical of that, that they call people deans they call people professors and some people have had a field day uh, who do they think they are and you know this this side criticism um, I, I i understand the the feeling but also i think they're taking it way too damn seriously right because this is all voluntary right this isn't that you're going to vanderbilt university right? This is a voluntary continuing education opportunity. So the titles might be a little highfalutin, right? Uh, draw some blood, right? I mean, that's, that's, you know, what do you, so anyway, we, we run the first funeral management college. Now, the other thing we need to talk about is that all through the Lowen years, we also at the same we were running the Lowen managers workshop where the regional managers across north america would choose managers to come to cincinnati and take a they'd come in on sunday night they'd be there monday tuesday wednesday thursday and they'd leave by noon on friday and we gave them blue manuals and blue manuals and blue manuals and we based all of this training, or I did, on the on the quality, total quality management theories of Dr. W. Edwards Deming, D-E-M-I-N-G. And I personally still believe that Deming's approach to management, 
fits funeral service and cemetery work like a glove. For one reason, Deming went for quality. You know, he said that people are attracted to quality. You know, you can measure quality and people will pay for quality. And, you know, and he said the idea uh, that you hear out there, well, quality is perception is utterly ridiculous, right? Because there's a difference, right? Between the high school marching band and the Boston Symphony Orchestra, right? So you can, just from that, you can prove there's a difference in quality. There's poor quality, right? And then there's excellent quality. So for a guy like me, I always wanted, I was interested in excellence in funeral service, whether it's cremation, whether it's pre-need, whether it's aftercare, whether it's embalming, whether it's, man, I always was pushing in my own brain for excellence, always improving something. And so we ran this college. Um, and I have to tell you the other day, the next year or this year, this coming July will be the 30th year that I've been the head of the funeral management college. All right. So 30 years we've run this thing. I pulled the files the other day and looked at the original curriculum that we, that we put out. Uh, and I mean, it's, 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 it's foolishness, right? From 1992 to 2022, that curriculum has changed with the times. There's no doubt. Uh, every year when I go to look at it, something else has happened out in the field. And okay, we need to put a new program in. And so the ICCFA, and, and let me just say the reason, you know, I, I fell into it without really knowing much about it. All I knew when we started was that it was a group of cemeterians and that, and then, and I, and I was labeled by some a traitor, right? When it got out, that I was connected with the American Cemetery Association. There were some funeral directors that were quick to the switch to, you know, you know, I've actually, Rob, I've always had a comforting feeling that I'm, th I'm thankful I'll be judged by God and not by man, right? Because boy, some of them took right out after me. <clears throat> However, <clears throat> that decision which I just fell into it to be associated with, with the ACA and, and now today ICCFA. And I'll tell you that story in a minute. It made all the difference in the world. It truly did because there were funeral director associations that only would allow funeral directors in. And that was where I had spent most of my life. So all I knew was what the funeral community was having to say about everything, which was valid and valuable and, you know, good, good insights, et cetera. However, I had never sat down with a mausoleum builder in my life. I had never sat down with a landscaping artist. I had never sat down with a group of cemeterians and listened to their state of life of what they were running into. Uh, I had never talked with uh, people that put in crematories. And when I went to ICCFA, 
I have to say this. I've always been attracted to the idea of unity and diversity. I've always been attracted to that idea of the common ground. And at ICCFA, or the old ACA, I was hobnobbing with every conceivable human being that had anything to do with the profession that I dearly uh, loved. And so we had a convention at the Palace Hotel in San Francisco and Arlie Davenport and Fred Miller, who were instrumental leaders in the ACA, they put up, they put up the proposal and this would have been maybe 96. They put up their proposal that the American Cemetery Association change its name to what, what. But the proposal was put that the American Cemetery Association did not reflect the direction that the profession was headed, which was clearly unity and diversity. And I'll give you an example of it. We don't hear much about this anymore, but in the early 90s, there was serve, uh, the Worthland studies. The Worthland studies were funded by a group of funeral uh, vendors, uh, suppliers, uh, some associations got involved with it. And I remember reading that with great relish. I was, man, I got my hands on that. And what struck me when it, the, and I can't remember the exact wording of the, um, of the question, but the results were the American public does not distinguish and see a difference between cemeterians and funeral directors. They're, they're not that sophisticated to see this, this, this breach that seemed to have been created within our own ranks. Right. And so when I saw that, it was like, I, I don't want anything to do with that anymore because it's a waste of energy. Right. It's, it's, it's a waste of time. It's negative. And so uh, the ICCFA, uh, the, they, they, they embraced that idea, right. That one group is not superior to the other. Pre-need is as valid as embalming. Uh, as licensed embalmers, aftercare is just as important as funeral directing. Digging graves is just as important as uh, having a wake. So they they were able to cut through this this layer after decades, a layer of of we don't like them, they don't like us. Uh, now it still goes on. I mean, I'm not Pollyanna with this stuff. However. ICCFA, which ended up becoming originally the International Cemetery and Funeral Association. And the minute I saw the name, I thought, well, that's going to honk off a lot of funeral directors because funeral, funeral doesn't come first, right? They put cemetery first, which of course it was, it started out as the ACA. So, and then there was a hassle about that, all right? But the point is, and I'm not here to give a commercial on uh, ICCFA, but it was the group that expanded the horizons 
as far as innovation and creativity went. That, that now you were not in a room solely occupied by licensed funeral directors. You were now in a room, and by God, the only way you could find out who was doing what is to go build a relationship with them. Uh, and and for for me, uh, it was it was a liberation day, right? Because I learned so much about stuff about my profession that I did not know. Actually, it was very similar to when I went to Cincinnati to teach embalming. I mean, I thought I knew something about embalming until I started teaching embalming. And then I quickly learned that there was volumes of stuff that Todd Van Beck uh, needed to get uh, in, uh, get uh, com uh, connected with. And so the ICCFA University uh, has been one of the seminal experiences of my life. And also with the ICCFA University, is we've had uh, hundreds of students now go through it. And, and, and thankfully, each year, the evaluations come back very strong. Uh, so that is an indication to me that we're keeping up with the times and that the program has not gotten stale. And so during that time, then at Lowen, and this was uh, 92, um, I got involved with, um, I had been publishing, I had been publishing. So the first articles came out in the Dodge magazine, right? Because even before 92, I had built a relationship with Jake Dodge at the Dodge Chemical Company. And with that, I had also then connected with Jim Murphy, who was the head of Dodge Canada, Right, and Dodge was very active up in Canada. And we've already mentioned about my relationships with the Canadian funeral directors. But then at, at, during this period, I, I ended up being a monthly contributor. So, so, it, so it was name recognition, uh, not be, just because of the seminars, but it was because every month, well, for 30 years, for every month, I've got something in the Canadian Funeral News. Ottman and I have worked together uh, very amicably, right? I mean, he's just a hell, hell of a good guy. And, um, <clears throat> and so for 30 years, every month, uh, there's an article that I put together that Ottman runs in the Canadian Funerals. And then for years, the Dodge Magazine, every month, every quarter, the Dodge magazine came out. Uh, the American funeral director, uh, we started, um, we, we actually, this uh, series called The Funerals of the Famous. Uh, there was an editor who's now the editor of the director magazine, Ed Deffert. And uh, he, um, he, he, uh, he published the first article on Funerals of the Famous, which has gone on to be a very successful series for that magazine. Then I got published in the uh, Funeral Association, National Association of Funeral Directors of Great Britain. And so all, all told over the last 30 years, 
Um, I think, I, in fact, this is, sounds horrible. I just kept, I don't even keep track of the stuff that gets published now because I think the last count was around 600 uh, different articles uh, out there. And that's not because, well, and here's one. I failed English when I was in high school, right? And to this day, this is no kidding. I couldn't tell a noun from a verb if sweet Jesus himself came down and asked me to do it. I, I don't, I, I have trouble. I always had trouble writing, always. Uh, I get Fs. Uh, my papers would come back with red marks all over the, uh, until I sat down and start writing about what I love. And I don't know what it is. It's now, now that I knew part of it is we got some damn good editors out there, right? So Ottman's got this Lisa up there in Calgary and man, she's spot on this stuff. I mean, you know, she'll send me back, you know, this needs a period, this needs a comma. Uh, and so I've been very, very lucky that way. And then at the low in, during these years, uh, and here's one, because the ICCFA is truly, the university is truly international. This isn't just in the name, right? One year I had, can you believe this, Apple? One year I had five students that came up from South Africa to take this funeral college. And I got to tell you, all they did was argue about American funeral cut. All they did was, oh, they, I'd, I'd say something, they go, oh my God, oh no, 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 right? Um, we had students from Scotland over there. I've had students from Chile, uh, students from um, Brazil. Um, we had students uh, from um, Madagascar. Uh, we had students from Tunisia uh, come in there. Uh, and here's the deal, language barriers and all of this stuff. And we always make it work. And I'll tell you why we make it work because a love of funeral service in our profession is the universal language. You can, you can spot it out instantly, whether people have the spark of a love of funeral service, that they're not burned out, that yeah, things aren't exactly the way we want them to be, but what are we gonna do except try to be creative and innovative and tell our story? And so from that, um, I got, I started to get invitations to go over to great, uh, to England and, uh, some of my best funeral director friends now are in England and outstanding funeral homes. Then on top of that, I'd made a very good friend, uh, in Glasgow, Scotland. He became the president of the national association of funeral directors of great Britain. And I went over uh, to do his banquet, gave a seminar, gave a talk, and uh, then went to Ireland, um, uh, went to uh, New Zealand and Australia over the years. Um, I, I'm not, I don't do international travel anymore. 
simply because the, the COVID thing stopped it in its tracks, but also, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in the 17 hour flight um, and battling the airports. So those years, those years um, were this, this 25 year span. It was just things were just active. The invitations kept coming. Um, the uh, articles kept getting published. Um, and I, and I owe, I owe a lot to the leaders uh, of this, of these organizations. Um, and particularly, there's one at, at ICCFA that I want to single out here. Her name is Kirsten Case, K-A-S-E. And I, I dedicated a book to her. I finished a book called Good Funeral Service, which is a terribly boring book. It's about 400 pages long on ethics in funeral service. Actually, some mortuary schools are now using it as a textbook. But I dedicated the book to her because she's not a funeral director or embalmer, but she's got the spark. She understands what makes this stuff tick and also what doesn't. And I need to single her out for thank you, compliment, appreciation that her guidance has actually made me look really, really good at times uh, uh, with no talent on my own uh, because she's a tremendous believer herself in the value, purpose, and benefit of the funeral. So in these years with ICCFA and the convention circuit, and the convention circuit, you know, I've been to every province in Canada, I've been to every state in the union, and the associations, uh, God love them, uh, the, it, it, they're all over the map. Uh, some of them are absolutely uh, creative, uh, they're innovative, they're leaders, and then some of them are, they, they're just, uh, just frozen uh, uh, by debate and acrimony and uh, this exec retires, that exec retires. Um, it's, it, so the Funeral Association, and I'm leading somewhere because I think one of the challenges uh, one of the great challenges is to confront the unspeakable subject in our beloved profession that we are fractured. We have, compared to other associations, a tremendous amount of groups, tremendous amount of associations. And I'll give you an example here. Uh, anyway, here in the States, if the doctors run into trouble down in the States, they have one immensely powerful organization to be their advocate. It's a group called the American Medical Association. Even the initials, AMA, is going to capture people's attention. If the lawyers get into trouble, 
or they run into legislative issues, et cetera. Uh, they have one major organization. Now, they've got a lot of splinter organizations, to be sure, but there's one major one called the American Bar Association. So the question, though, is what happens when funeral directors run into these issues? Who speaks for funeral service? Now, some of your listeners are way too young to remember the first Federal Trade Commission hearings in 1977. Well, I, I, I'm old enough to remember those very, very well. And it was, uh, it was a paralysis by people trying to stake out territories of who was going to win the debate. So you had one funeral group say this, another funeral group say that, and they're all national level groups. And so I, I look at that, all right, and it, it worries me, all right, it concerns me, um, such as the same thing, it concerns me that we can't have a uniform licensing system, right, that uh, nurses, for instance, um, you know, they get a license and all of a sudden, boom, they've got this traveling card, and in our profession, we're still going through the hoops of state boards. I remember, this is a funny one, uh, and then we'll close this one off. I think we're going uh, maybe a little long. Uh, I went to, I moved to take the management job of a funeral home. And when I, I had been licensed for 38 years when I made this move. And I, I, I was there and I uh, send in my reciprocity papers and I'll be damned. I get a letter from the state board and they're making me serve a two-year apprenticeship. All right. I, I, I'd been licensed for 38 years. No charges had ever been brought against my licenses. And they're making me serve a two-year apprenticeship. In the middle of this apprenticeship now, and here I am signing, filling out embalming report forms, filling out funeral directing report forms, uh, getting my employer to sign them. And the employer wrote a letter on my behalf. And the employer had been the former president of the state association and the state board didn't even reply to him. Right? Right. So by golly, they put me in my place. And so I did a two-year apprenticeship, but in the middle of this apprenticeship, I get invited by a group of embalmers in this state to give a seminar on advanced embalming techniques for blunt head trauma. <laughs> so, you know, these guys didn't know I'm serving an apprenticeship. Right. So I so I accepted it. And I remember going to the auditorium where the seminar is at and I had all my stuff ready to go and all my images and all this stuff. I started out and I said, gentlemen, ladies, I said, this will probably be the first and only time in your career that you're going to have a, a seminar on advanced on embalming and restoring blunt head trauma given to you by a registered apprentice uh, in this state, right? And, and, you know, I don't think I was being fair about that. And I'll tell you why, because they all looked at me 
was deer in a headlight look because they had no clue that the state board was making me do this. Interestingly, once I made that statement, three months later, the state board changed the rules. <laughs> it was like the minute I got my license, they changed the damn rules that if you were licensed for three years in another state, you'd instantly be able to reciprocate. <clears throat> so it's just part of the story, isn't it? about uh, working in our abuse. So no matter what hoops we have to jump through, right? Uh, that does not demean from the value, purpose and benefit of the funeral. And that this is a noble, good profession. Uh, and it's certainly been very good to me over the years. So, so I think that's this segment, Rob. Well, that's great, Todd. It's uh, just that whole education portion that you've as an ed educator i think the funeral educator from what you did with lowen and your your duties there with the involvement with the iccfa and the funeral home management college but then the publishing and the presentations throughout the world just amazing and the countless people that you've touched would no one will ever know but you painted it in such a way where it wasn't just an easy an easy path there was these bumps and you persevered and i think we were all better uh for that well rob i appreciate you uh, adding this addendum to this right because i want to make it abundantly clear that you know if the listeners remember the first segments of this i was the guy that they made the prophecy would never make it through the mortuary school right i was a horrible student I have really stumbled many, many, many times in my life and career. And the other thing that needs to be said is that not everybody that uh, crossed my paths approved of what I did or how I did it or what I had to say. So it hasn't been a love fest uh, by any means. What has been the, let me rephrase it this way. You know, I'll be 70 years old next year or next month. And um, my life is my argument because through all of these, some avoidable and some unavoidable problems, challenges, failures, right? Blunt flopping failures that I've experienced. I, I, I've never lost my love of this profession. I just have never, ever abandoned it or lost it. Um, and I'm still as fascinated about everything to do with it um, as I was uh, 50 years ago when all this started up. So that's no brag. It's just fact. Just a fact. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great story. On behalf of funeral directors that you've touched, uh, thank you. Thank you, Rob.